Hi, good evening. So, yeah, my name's Ruth, just to add to the thing. I think it's been said a few times, so it'd be a bit weird if I said something else. Um, but thanks, Darren and the team. Um, yeah, just how great is our God? That's what we're really going to be looking at tonight, how great is Jesus? And uh, I hope you learn something new. So we'll see if I can get everything to work tonight. No? Yes? Okay. The year is 50 BC, and Gaul is entirely occupied by the Romans. Well, not entirely. One small village of indomitable Gauls still holds out against the invaders, and life is not easy for the Roman legionaries who garrison the fortified camps of Totorum, Aquarium, Laudanum, and Compendium. But all is peaceful in the little Gaulish village that we know so well. And as usual, everyone is cheerful and friendly. And in the Roman Senate, old Senator Stradivarius is getting all strung up in his well-modulated tones, calculated to rouse the crowd to fever pitch. He's settling an old score with Caesar. Caesar still asks us for money and men to wage war. He's not even capable of keeping the Pax Romana in the countries he's already conquered. There's a little village up there in Gaul. It defies our occupying forces and refuses to obey our laws. Let Caesar enforce the power of Rome in the occupied territories before he thinks of new campaigns. So is this a familiar story to anyone? Anybody grow up reading Asterix and Obelix books? I read them growing up. Well, my brothers got them from the library and I took them and read them. And then my children have grown up and we have very dog-eared Asterix books. A lot of fun. The Christians in the first century were actually a little bit like this little Gaulish village holding out against the Romans. Now, if you know the stories, you know that the Gauls did this through their magic potion gave them superhuman strength, and they were biffing Romans left, right, and centre. So in tonight's passage, Paul explains that the Colossian Christians have their faith in Jesus, not a magic potion in order to beat up the Roman soldiers, but someone who is so much greater than the might of Rome and against which the might of Rome is puny and pathetic. Jesus is supreme. So we need to start by just having a chat among yourselves. How do you describe Jesus? What sort of adjectives do you use? There's no right or wrong here. It's just how do you see Jesus? What's the, your thoughts? Just chat among yourselves a little bit. Okay, so people probably have a lot of different ideas. Um, there's a couple of art, famous art pieces of Jesus, and a few just comments. Um, now, I want to suggest to you that your picture and my picture of Jesus is probably too small and too defined, maybe. You know, here's all the things that you've probably talked about, but so much more. 
And in like the words of Louis Giglio, he's actually almost indescribable, isn't he? But Paul, in his characteristic way, gives it a go anyway, um, as we'll see in our passage. So I have uh, Brianna going to come and read for us our passage tonight. So we are reading Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Good. Oh, sorry. Okay. So this is from the NRSV version. Um, For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, <clears throat> whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or sorry, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly blood uh, body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. Thanks, Brianna. So, this is a pretty incredible passage, really. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to work through the passage verse by verse, and then I'll summarise. So buckle up and do some work. So the first verse, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, as we know, men and women were made in the image of God. But Jesus, the scripture says, was the exact representation of God the exact representation of the invisible God. It's actually God made visible to man, unveiled, if you like. This isn't so much talking about looks, because we all look different, don't we? So if we're all in the image of God, then what does God look like? Um, but it's more talking about like the moral being, the essence. In Philippians, um, the term in the very nature God that Jesus was. It's actually a real sense of personal relationship. And the phrase, the firstborn of all creation, it's not referring to Jesus' physical birth because he wasn't born. The old translations use that word begotten, not made, not created. It's kind of an old word, but it basically is saying that sense of him being firstborn as in before all creation, before anything, pre-existent is often the word used, before anything was made. Jesus originates with the Father. He was not created. It's kind of more of a supreme sense rather than a time sense. So I thought Jesus is more like a supreme pizza. Everything, it's got the best of everything on it. And everyone else, we're just margaritas. <laughs> anyway, Jesus is El Supremo, number one, the best. So Paul is building an incredible picture here of Jesus. Don't miss it. 
So, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. Kind of everything, isn't it? All things have been created through him and for him. So, by the means of Jesus, all things were created. That actually means that no beings, either supernatural, visible, invisible, are outside of the rule of Christ. That's got to kind of let that soak in. So, in him and through him and for him. So, he was both the creator, but also its goal. Things were created for him. Um, so all powers are subordinate to Christ, which include supernatural powers. So both earthly rulers and kings and presidents and all those sort of people, but also demons and angels and anything that we don't see. You know, there's actually a great comfort in this, isn't there? And an awareness of the incredible power of Jesus to heal and to save. In John 1, it's got a lot of parallels in the first chapter of John. In John 1, 3 to 5, all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. You know, there's some implications here for how we actually treat any creature, whether human or not human. See, if everything is created by Jesus, it's of value to him, not to be used for our own selfish ends. So in many countries around the world, and even here in Australia, human life can be cheap, can't it? Just labour. Animal life can be cheap. It's just fodder for economic ends or other selfish ends. And Jesus is such a different way of viewing things. So 17, he himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So here's that sense of firstborn, before. This sums up really the previous statements, that he is first, he is before everything, above everything. El Supremo. So Jesus is also the unifying factor in creation, just meaning that he brings everything together, he holds it together, and he sustains it. But this activity isn't just he did that once and then he wandered off. Um, not the blind watchmaker that you might have heard people say, winds up the world, sets it in motion, and then goes off and sits back and watches what happens. With Jesus, the activity is permanent and continuous, and it is still happening today. There's constant and active involvement. And in fact, if he didn't do that, we wouldn't even be here, would we? He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, again, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have the first place in everything. So, can you exist or function without your head? No. Some people attempt it, don't they? But it's not a good idea. Um, not naming anybody, just, you know. We all know someone, don't we? But, um, <laughs> or do you say sometimes, I lost my head. I didn't have my head in the game. You know, it's all those terms, isn't it? Because our head is the most important. 
and nobody can, nobody can function without it. Ha ha. So, sorry, that was a bit of a dad joke, wasn't it? Um, we always look to Jesus then as the head of the church. Is this an important thing to think about? We have to keep reminding ourselves of this fact, don't we? Or we run into all sorts of problems when we say, this person's the head, or I'm the head, or I can do what I want. So he brings all together, again, that unifying thing, both in the church and indeed in the whole universe. Now this phrase, the firstborn from the dead, it's because Jesus was the first to be resurrected from the dead, so others will experience resurrection in consequence. And I thought, I said to Gavin, you know, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because Jesus raised some people from the dead, didn't he? Like uh, Lazarus, for example. But in the scripture, they are referred to as being just sleeping. They are asleep. They haven't actually died. Well, he brings them back to the same body, same life. But Jesus' resurrected body was different, and his he actually conquered death, went through the whole thing. Um, and so it is a different thought, if that makes sense, or I've just confused you. But anyway, um, so Jesus was the first to be resurrected from the dead. And that's the way that we are going to experience resurrection. The Alpha, the Omega, as Revelation calls them, the beginning and the end. So in both the old creation, which is like the original creation, and new creation, meaning resurrection, both of them show the supremacy of Christ. Supremacy is just a long word, isn't it? A big word that just really means supreme, um, greatest. So both of these came into existence by the same principles. In 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I actually love this phrase. There is a sense that there's this absolute delight that the Father had in the incarnation of Jesus, in Jesus' birth. Everything that you can think of about God applies to Jesus. Let that soak in. Everything, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. And Paul is reminding them Jesus was fully divine, fully God. So at that time, some of the false teaching was to do with saying, Jesus was just another teacher, just another prophet. Sound familiar? We sometimes hear that today, don't we? But he wasn't. He was fully divine and fully God, and Paul wanted them to know that. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his, cry, of his cross. So. So he creates, as we've been looking at, and he also reconciles. So to reconcile is to make peace, to restore or to remove obstacles between parties, in this case between the creature and the creator. And that required blood, sacrifice and atonement for sins. But that was not for Jesus' sins, was it? Because he was sinless. It was actually for ours but we couldn't do that. The only sinless one ever has been is Jesus. So Jesus was the means for the reconciliation of all things in creation. Everything is under his dominion. So there are some themes that just keep coming back through this passage. 
For Rome at this time was the preeminent culture of the time and place, and they saw themselves as the givers of fruitfulness and peace. We have this wonderful society. The Pax Romana of Augustus Caesar was achieved, meaning peace throughout the Roman Empire. But this was actually a very political situation with Jesus because anybody who disturbed the peace was dealt with swiftly. And what did they do to deal with people who disturbed the peace? Public crucifixion. Those, that was for those who challenged Rome's rule. And the Jewish leaders, interestingly enough, kind of took this tack with Pilate. And they said, you don't want to be accused of rioting now, do you? Because then you would be in trouble with the emperor. And where's that going to lead you? So in John 19, which we looked at last year, um, verses 12 and 15, from then on, Pilate was a bit freaked out. He didn't see that Jesus had done anything wrong, and he tried to release him. But the Jews said, ah, if you release this man, you're no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king is setting himself against the emperor. So Pilate asked them again, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but the emperor, Caesar. They knew what they should say, <laughs> what was the safe thing to say. So therefore Jesus was crucified and the Romans actually saw some earthly peace restored by this act. But actually something so much greater was going on here. And they had no idea, did they? Jesus' blood on such a cross actually subverts this imperial rule and it established a more profound peace, an actual forever peace. Because God reconciled to himself all things on earth or heaven by making peace through his blood. This was the only possible means of reconciliation. So, what does this reconciliation of all things then mean to the Colossians? And by example, to us too. Let's continue our passage. Where do we come in and where do, what do the Colossian Christians need to do? You who were once estranged and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. So there are three thoughts here can kind of be looked at as estranged, reconciled and presented. So estranged, that word means basically alienated, not close or connected, um, not having that personal relationship at the time. And hostile is kind of like an enemy, isn't it? Antagonistic and opposed. And Paul makes sure that they understand that they were once estranged and hostile both in mind and in deeds. It's two parts to this. Um, and then reconciled means restored due to Jesus' death. But the reconciliation in any situation actually involves a change of attitude for the offending party. You see, Jesus offers forgiveness. We can offer forgiveness to someone, but if they don't take it up, it's not reconciliation, is it? So Jesus offers forgiveness, and when they and we accept this, we can be reconciled with him. So we actually have a role in this, and Paul describes the former state in both thoughts 
and deeds. Our estrangement, their estrangement, is actually on all levels. Hostile in mind and evil deeds, everything must change. So sometimes people say, well, I live a good life, or so-and-so lives a good life, they do good deeds, so why is there a problem? When you reject the authority of God for your life, Paul says you're hostile in mind. It is still a problem. The statement in his fleshly body through death is just a reminder and reinforcement of Jesus' suffering on the cross to death. He truly suffered for us all. So one of the other kind of false teachings that was around was that Jesus was more kind of spirit, kind of a bit of an airy-fairy thing. So he didn't actually suffer, didn't actually hurt. Okay? And Paul's saying, no, no, no. <laughs> he clearly suffered on the cross. He was in a body. His fleshly body suffered through death. And presented... Why has all this happened? Why did Jesus reconcile us? He reconciled us, reconciled them. The purpose and the result of being reconciled to God is to be presented to God. And Paul says, you are now presented holy, blameless, and irreproachable. Wow. You are presented as a perfect sacrifice. Just like in the Old Testament, the lamb or other sacrifice actually had to be blemish-free. That is the Colossians, and that is us. I don't know about you, I don't feel very holy. So let that sink in. Holy, meaning sacred, set apart to God, blameless, without fault or stain, and irreproachable, it's just a big word meaning not open to any charge. No one can hold anything against you. So, this is the position before God for both the Colossians and for us because of Jesus' death. So, what must they or we do? Provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. Now, I love this phrase, and it is the perseverance of Jesus that preserves our perseverance. Say that again. It's the perseverance of Jesus that preserves our perseverance. Jesus continues to hold us, and that's what keeps us there. It's not our efforts. We can't do it of our own. Remember, I said earlier, his activity is permanent and continuous and active. And we are very grateful. So Paul assumes, actually, in this verse, that the Colossians will continue in his, the faith. It's not an if of the future or provided of the future, but it's more like, in the Greek, more like since. Since you are, since indeed, I'm assuming, you continue in the faith, then our reconciliation is an accomplished fact. Jesus has already done it by his death on the cross. So the continuance in the faith is a test of reality. The believer will be without fault and blameless when they stand before God. This salvation was an accomplished event at the moment of faith. So, he says, continue in it, persist in it. And there's two phrases there. 
the securely established and the steadfast in the faith. Two different ideas. So securely established is kind of like being grounded. It suggests a secure foundation, just like a building sits on a rock. We lay that foundation of stability when we put our trust in Jesus, when we accept the reconciliation, be reconciled to him. Now, good foundations are dug deep and solid, and Jesus is that foundation. He is the foundation. We are securely established in him. And Paul says they were placed in that with permanent results. Now, steadfast just basically means settled, a steady and a firm resolve, spiritual stability. And that's more like the strength of the building. We have our foundation, and then we put our building on top. Not like a house that shakes in an earthquake. The Colossians are to resist the efforts to shake them loose from their foundation, which is Jesus. So build something solid on your faith and the hope promised by the gospel, which is the good news, isn't it? That is indeed for everyone in all creation. In a sense, it has been preached throughout the whole world through creation, and there are promises that it will be heard by every tribe and every nation. And Paul says, I'm a willing servant of this good news of Jesus. In fact, we know Paul gave his life for this. So, we've travelled through our passage, and I hope you understand it a little better. So just we're going to pause to recap. Brianna's going to come back, and she's going to read it in the message paraphrase. More just so that you can just kind of let that flow over you. So I want, before we look at how this applies to our lives, just, um, it probably feels a little bit disjointed now. I've gone through verse by verse. So Brianna's just going to read message paraphrase, which is reasonably close to the story. Thanks, Brianna. We look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and, leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly turned into the message, careful not to distract, to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one, 
every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this. Thanks, Brianna. So some thoughts on the application of this passage to our lives. Paul is reminding the Colossian believers, both Jew and Gentiles, quite a mix in that church, to have faith, steadfast and strong. What in? Jesus. Sunday school answer, adult answer. It is the answer. At the beginning of my message, you discussed your picture and your descriptions of Jesus. So for many in our society, he was a great moral teacher. And people actually quite like that bit, don't they? As C.S. Lewis said, his teachings are full of wisdom and shrewdness, the product of a sane mind. But he also made some rather crazy remarks theologically. The Gospel of John records his I am statements, for example. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth and the life. You see, his effect on people wasn't one of mild approval. Oh, very good. Read through the Gospels. Have a look at how people responded to Jesus. They tended to respond in either hatred, terror, or adoration. Now, they are strong emotions and reactions. And Paul outlines in our passage that Jesus was and is indeed supreme over all, both visible and invisible, He's the creator, and in fact, he holds all things together. He is the one who has made peace in reconciling all things to himself. Not just some mild-mannered sage in robes. He is God incarnate, God himself, all the fullness of God. Now, he challenged the might and the so-called supremacy of Rome, and he challenges the rulers and the powers that prevail in our culture. For Asterix in the Gaulish villages, the magic potion was their weapon against the Romans, but it wears off over time, and it needs replenishing. Paul says, we have Jesus, challenging the might of Rome and any other power. It's really no contest. He is overall supreme, so we need to stand firm in our faith in him. Daniel in the Old Testament lived in a culture where the Medes and the Persians ruled supreme. And as you probably know the story, he was thrown into a den of lions because he prayed to God instead of the king. Now he trusted God for his life and he was actually miraculously delivered. He stood firm in his faith in God and the result was that the king had to actually acknowledge that there was someone greater than himself in his kingdom. And in Daniel 6, 25 to 27, he sent this message. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Big claim, but peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And he had rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Now Daniel's story showed God as ultimate. Now, we don't often see such dramatic results of our obedience and allegiance. But this was inescapable truth to King Darius. 
So there are two main thoughts from our passage. One, we were estranged, not family, because of our hostile thoughts and our evil deeds. So now be reconciled so you can be presented. And I thought, you know, some come into the church or Christian environments, but they don't take up Jesus' offer. Essentially still living hostile and estranged. Why? You know, it's kind of like in a marriage when a couple still live in the same home, but they actually live separate lives. That's not a real marriage. You're effectively estranged. So can I encourage you that if this is you, be reconciled with Jesus. Leave behind your hostile thoughts and evil deeds to receive the foundation of Jesus, which is solid and unchangeable. And there are many here who would love to help you with this. Allow Jesus to build that foundation in your life. The second thought is to ask you, those of you who have been reconciled to Jesus, what are you building on your foundation? What sort of dwelling? Oops, that's the Romans. What's that one? Sorry. Um, do you just, this is the, the foundation, which is Jesus. Massive, okay. Do you put up a flimsy little pup tent or a hut when we have the greatest foundation we can ever have? Do you know what you can build on that? Not those, but those. Not those, but those. You can actually build a skyscraper on your foundation of Jesus. Don't go and put up your little shack. The wind, the storms come down, okay? Don't base your faith on experience only, which just wafts around depending on your circumstances. I feel good today, I don't feel good today. But on the solid word of God. So we can read or listen to God's word, meet with others, study the Bible, listen to podcasts and sermons, learn and then apply God's word. Don't just read it, apply it to your life. Let it stretch you and grow you. Live out your faith. Do the things that build faith. Find your place in this world and where you can make a difference. And don't let fear rule your life. Jesus is greater than any power or ruler or situation. So be confident to march to the beat of a different drum. You know, courage is not actually the absence of fear, but it's doing things despite our fear, doing it scared. It is acting on our faith and building that which will stand steady in the earthquakes and the storms of life. A little pup tent or a hut is just not going to do it. And the earthquakes and the storms will come. So be steadfast. Build your skyscraper. So I grew up very fearful and insecure. And when I was 13, I was staying with my grandmother and we were chatting one night and I confessed to her how much I feared death. She opened her Bible and she said, you don't have to fear, Ruth. And she read me passages and she explained all that Jesus had done to give us eternal life. For me, that was one of those life-giving and life-changing moments. This was truth that I could hold on to. I could build this into my house. And so many times in my life, I've turned to the pages of my Bible to find the answers to my fears and for courage. And in these pages, I find wonderful stories of faith in all sorts of difficulties 
and the encouragement to keep on building on my sure foundation of Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you, take your doubts, they're okay, and your fears to him and hold on to the hope of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. C.S. Lewis, who is a writer of the Narnia Chronicles and many books about Christian life, says this, If anything, whatever is keeping you from me, it's Jesus, whatever it is, throw it away. If it's your eye, pull it out. If it's your hand, cut it off. If you put yourself first, you will be last. Come to me, everyone who is carrying a heavy load. I'll set that right. Your sins, all of them, are wiped out. I can do that. I am rebirth. I am life. Eat me, drink me. I am your food. And finally, do not be afraid. I have overcome the whole universe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truth, the unchanging, the steady truth that is contained within it. Thank you for your book of Colossians and for Paul who so faithfully wrote to many people to build their faith up that in turn builds up ours. And I just pray for each one here that they would build that strong foundation in Jesus, that they would not be afraid to do that that you are El Supremo, (laughs) number one. There is no one greater. There is no one else in whom we can put our trust. And I also just pray that you would help each one of us to build our skyscrapers, to not build in fear or in indifference, but to build our skyscrapers, to find the things that make us grow and to go for them, to learn and to to grow in our relationship with you. And thank you that by your Holy Spirit you enable us to do all things. In Jesus' name, amen.